Hi guys and welcome to the Research Zone podcast, the podcast where we aim to make sense of youth mental health research. Each week we will talk to a different researcher to learn about their research project, discussing the why, what, where, when and how of their research and most importantly how this can benefit us as young people. All the relevant links will be in the show notes so please do check them out if you're interested in today's topic. Without further ado, let's meet today's guest. Hi guys, I'm Lizzie and welcome to the Research Zone podcast. Today I'm joined by the lovely Abby. Abby, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you research? Yeah, so hi everyone. I'm Abby Russell. Um, I work at the University of Exeter and my job title is technically Senior Lecturer in Child Health. Um, But that's a bit fancy, I think. So what I actually do is mostly research around children and young people's mental health. So I've worked on various specific topics in that. So I do things around a lot of work around ADHD and neurodevelopmental differences like autism. But I also research things like child health generally, child mental health generally, as young people grow older, and also things like self-harm and suicide in young people. Brilliant. That sounds like such a wide array of research. So can you give us a little summary of the research that you're going to talk about today? And then we can go into it in a bit more detail. Today, I'm going to talk about the research project that I'm doing at the moment. I call it Tools for Schools. And what it is, is it's working with primary schools to help teachers better work with children with ADHD. So ADHD can be diagnosed if someone's really hyperactive or impulsive or they have real problems paying attention. So sometimes we class that as like an actual psychiatric disorder, but everyone's got like different personality traits. So everyone might be a bit hyperactive or a bit impulsive. So some people are just... I guess I'm lucky enough to have lots of hyperactivity and impulsivity and you can kind of imagine that that's a problem in school where you're expected to kind of sit still and do what you're told and not shout out and not run around the room. So I think of like a primary school child with ADHD as being a bit like Tigger from Winnie the Pooh and just like constantly bouncing around and they just don't unfortunately fit in well with what schools expect of them. So what I'm doing in Tools for Schools is working with this big group of people, so school staff, but also young people with ADHD and their parents to work out what can schools do better so that children with ADHD can have a better school experience um, and then hopefully go on to secondary school in a bit of a happier state than they currently do. That sounds so, so important. So why did you, you kind of hinted a bit there about school not being the great environment for kids with ADHD, but why did you decide to research ADHD? Like what kind of existing things are schools doing that isn't working? Before I became an academic and a researcher, I used to work as a support worker. Um, So for people that had all sorts of different learning difficulties or disabilities. Um, So I worked with some adults then that had autism or ADHD. And I thought, you know, these guys just aren't doing as well as they could. They're really struggling with life. And then I went on to be a teaching assistant working in a school in Canada that was specifically for children that had learning disabilities and loads of the kids there had ADHD and what I noticed was that even if the kids were really like really trying their hardest to do their best if they were really inattentive they just couldn't keep track of what was going on and you'd have to remind them lots of times and kind of they're very disorganized so you have to go through every morning like 
have you got your book have you got your pencil and then two minutes later they've got neither their book or their pencil and you're like where have they gone um so at that point I thought this has been a special school that had loads of staff and people like me there so we had like two teachers for nine children wow and then yeah so when I came back to the UK um and started working with families and parents, I realized that, you know, lots of these children are actually in mainstream school and they really, really struggle. And what happens is teachers can start to feel really negatively towards the child because they don't understand what ADHD is necessarily. So they think that a child might be doing something on purpose. And then that all kind of just snowballs in a really negative way. And then these children with ADHD can get really low self-esteem because they're not trying to behave badly, but everyone keeps telling them they're behaving badly. And they just get a really raw deal. So what happened was I did my PhD when I got my kind of research qualifications on why children from more disadvantaged backgrounds were more likely to have ADHD. But that was what we call epidemiology so using information from like thousands of people at once to see what children with ADHD had in common early in their lives but I just thought that's all well and good and it can tell us a lot about ADHD generally but it's not really helping anyone in school at the moment so what I decided to do was actually do something some research that was a bit more hands-on So the first thing I did was talk to teachers in what we call a qualitative research study where you do interviews and focus groups and you just ask people about their opinions and their experiences. We went and talked to teachers about what what they know about ADHD, what do they understand about it and how do they manage kids in school with ADHD. And what they said to us was they know ADHD is a thing, they've heard about it, but it's never any part of their teacher training. Um, They don't have any kind of specialist knowledge. They only know maybe what they've heard from a one-off training course or even things they've looked up themselves and on the news. So they kind of said, we know this is an issue. We know we really struggle to help these children thrive in school, but we also don't know how best to do that. And they told us what they do do which is that they use the kind of broad strategies that they would with any other child that was kind of behaving differently from the rest of the class. But they pick strategies based on the problem that the student's having right then and there. So if you're having like a really inattentive week and you just can't focus on anything, then a teacher would kind of notice that and pick out something from what they already know about to help. But they would then found that it was quite frustrating because they didn't have specialist knowledge about ADHD. So things that worked with other kids, they found didn't work with these children. And that kind of fed into that negative relationships that um, I was talking about. So that kind of contrasts with other research. Um, So there's a type of study called a randomized controlled trial, which is where you randomly put people into different groups for treatment. So you take maybe 100 children with ADHD and 50 of them, you say, okay, you keep going as usual. And 50 of them, you say, okay, let's try out this school-based intervention and see if it improves things, which is great. It's a really good design for a scientific study. And there's been about 50 of those in schools to kind of help support children with ADHD. But the problem is when they're doing these trials, what they're actually trialing is this like huge intervention where they've got loads of different components. So they might have like 
a parent group after school, they might have social skills training for the child, there might be organisational skills training, there might be cognitive training to try and help them be less impulsive, and maybe teacher coaching, maybe like a relationships programme. So like all of this stuff normally led by clinical psychologists. And what these trials have found is like, yes, on average, this does improve things for children with ADHD, but then they couldn't work out what part of it was improving things for who. And then if you think about, you know, your experiences of school and you think, would that have worked in the school that I went to? And I just think, no, we didn't have a clinical psychologist who had the time and energy to do all of those things. And also people don't. So when you have like a research intervention, we measure how well people follow that. And if you try and do something that complicated in a normal school setting, people just aren't able to follow it because there's too many other demands on them. So in my current project, what I'm doing is basically creating this toolkit where I'm taking all the best bits of strategies that we know about from other research, listening to people's experiences about what it's like for them with ADHD now and in school, and packaging it in a way so that teachers can kind of log into this toolkit, think about what's the biggest problem this child is having, and then it signposts them to suggestions for one or two things they could try with the child at a time. So it's kind of taking the best bits of those really complicated things, but doing them in a way that hopefully teachers in primary schools in the UK could actually apply. That's great, honestly. It sounds like you're doing so much. And I think, like you say, when there's so many different parts of a trial, that you've got no way of knowing if it's going to work. And my mum's a teacher and it just sounds like she should never have time for anything like that, let alone having like a clinical psychologist readily available in a school. It's just not going to happen. So you mentioned like cherry picking some of the best tools and strategies that are kind of existing at the moment. What kind of things are there? Have you got any examples? Yeah, so I think um, what we're going to do is we're going to have these different modules, basically. So and each module maps to one main area of problems. So we've got a module that's about organisation. Then we've got one that's about attention and one that's about relationships with teachers. Um, I've got eight in total. And there's one, I think, importantly, that focuses on self-esteem as well. So at the moment, I've got like... I've got the outline of what people are going to have to do generally for the toolkit, but the real specific strategies is what I'm working on at the moment. And the way that I'm doing that is I'm kind of going through the research and, you know, in addition to those 50 trials I mentioned, there's actually 80 systematic reviews that are relevant and about 200 other studies. So there's a huge amount already out there to pick from and it's just working out what's going to work. So what I've done is I've gone through other ADHD research and picked out some of the best things that we already know work, um, which will become strategies. One of the things that's really important for improving the teacher-child relationship is that teachers kind of catch children with ADHD out when they're being good and they praise them for that. And that can be really difficult if you've got into this cycle of negativity between a teacher and child because the child then doesn't like the teacher And the teacher finds it hard to manage the child. But actually kind of being really specific about what you're praising the child for can help them to feel good about themselves and good about what they're doing at school. So it might be as simple as, oh, you know, Charlie, I've noticed that you've completed that whole worksheet without shouting out. That's really great because you focused. So 
in that example, you're saying exactly what the child has done that you're praising. So you're not just giving them a compliment that they don't know what for, but you're also saying why that's a good thing in that it showed that they were focusing. And those kind of things are really important. Time management skills are really hard to learn when you've got ADHD. You don't generally tend to have a really good sense of time, or at least not the same kind of way that other people see it. So using visual things and things like egg timers so that you can see, you know, if you have a five minute egg timer on your desk, you can see when the sand is gone, then you've done your piece of work or you've done your period of work and now you're allowed to do something else. And that's important as well in terms of kind of uncertainty and anxiety. So children with ADHD can sometimes become really anxious because they don't know what's expected of them. And they often have other difficulties as well. So things like autism spectrum conditions or depression or anxiety. So actually, it's really reassuring for a child with ADHD to know what's happening next, like, but not too much. So if you tell a child, okay, this is everything we're doing today, that's way too much, that's overwhelming. But if you have something on their desk, like a little printout that shows what we're doing now is maths and maybe a nice picture of some mathematical stuff. And what we're doing next is science and a picture of a test tube and some sciencey stuff. And then once you've moved on to science, you move along your kind of visual cards. So what we're doing now is science and then you have what's next. So it might be playtime, for example. And that just helps the child to know that they're not kind of stuck in this endless cycle of we're doing science forever, but they're also reassured in knowing, okay, so after science, I know it's playtime and I can look forward to that. They sound like such helpful things, but what struck me is like they're so basic, like they're not these thousand pound interventions with the psychologist three times a week. They're just really little things. And what kind of impact have you noticed from these strategies on the children? Yeah, so we're still at the point where we're developing the toolkit. So next summer, so summer 2022, what we're going to do is take it into primary schools and try it out with about 32 children with ADHD. But what I have noticed, so to design this toolkit, I'm doing something called co-production, which is basically where I work really closely with real people who work in, you know, who live these situations. So I've got some educational psychologists, some SENCOs from schools, which are special educational needs coordinators, adults with ADHD, but also parents of children who are in primary school now with ADHD, and teachers, teaching assistants, all kinds of people who are helping me to design this. And one of the first things I did was I basically interviewed them all about what works for them now when they are working with a child with ADHD or when they're at home with their child, what do you do and what does it work? And a lot of it is these really simple strategies, but the key thing is packaging it in a way that makes it really easy for a teacher or a teaching assistant to access it. So I think in scientific terms, we would say that the evidence base is there. We know these things are likely to be helpful, but we have a problem with implementation in that nobody's managed to get what we know effectively into schools in a way that schools can actually use it. Definitely. And I think your research would really help to fill that gap, wouldn't it? So if this got into schools and teachers were using and implementing it, how do you think it would improve things for children with ADHD? That's such a big question. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But a really good one, I think. So what we know about 
a child with ADHD at the moment and what happens when they grow up is that the kind of core symptoms of ADHD, so not being able to pay attention and being impulsive and hyperactive can really impact you on, a, on you in a lot of ways. Um, so as these children become teenagers, they're more likely to do risky things, um, like maybe trying different substances and illegal drugs at an earlier age. They're more likely to get into car accidents when they start driving because they're impulsive. But they're also more likely to do less well at school and get less GCSEs. Um, and that's if they get that far. What happens to lots of these children is they start to be expelled from school and excluded. And actually, they might end up going to five or six different schools during their school career. And I mean, if you could imagine kind of being kicked out of school over and over again, um, and what that impact might have on your kind of friendships and relationships, but also on how it kind of how you get on at home with your family, that becomes a really stressful situation for everyone. And we know there are medication treatments for ADHD. Um, but at the moment, even with those children do better than they do now, but they don't do as well overall. So they'll do better in their GCSEs than they would without medication but they won't do as well as a child without ADHD. So I think what this has the potential to do is really set up these children for better times when they're adolescents, um, if they can get on better with kind of their schoolmates, make better friendships. That's really important when you're growing up, but also learning to kind of self-regulate and notice, oh, that's an impulsive thought. Maybe I won't act on it that can help with reducing some of the risk of these un unhealthy behaviours and risky driving as well. So I think potentially the toolkit has the, has the opportunity to have real long-term impacts in kind of improving relationships and reducing the likelihood of other things occurring. There's one other really important thing, which is that ADHD is considered a neurodevelopmental condition. So it's, it's a brain difference that people are born with. And for some people with ADHD, about a third, by the time they get to their 20s, their kind of brain development has caught up and they're doing much better. But for two thirds of people, they carry on having these impairing issues into adulthood. And what that does is it means you're more likely to develop lots of other mental health problems like depression and anxiety because of the kind of negative repercussions of your ADHD. So having this toolkit nice and early in a child's development would hopefully also reduce the risk that they would go on to develop other things as well. That sounds like it's going to be an invaluable tool with all those changes and differences that it's going to make. You've got to take this project into schools, which would be so fab. And you're more than welcome to come back on the podcast and tell us how, what you found. Um, but what do you think is next in terms of ADHD research? What kind of things do we know and what kind of things do we still need to explore? Yeah, it's such a Good question. And there's a lot of people. So internationally, there's thousands of people who research ADHD, um, which is great because for all the reasons I've said, it's a really important thing to try and support people with ADHD. At the moment, what we don't know is exactly what causes it. So it's almost like ADHD is like an umbrella label for anyone that's inattentive or hyperactive or impulsive. But the reasons for that in terms of their brain development or neurodevelopment are really varied. So we have a lot of research that shows, yes, there are developmental differences in children's brains, 
but we don't really understand exactly what differences lead to exactly what symptoms of ADHD. And I think it's important to understand that because from the perspective of a person with ADHD, you feel like something's wrong with you and you want to know exactly what's wrong. Like if my arm's hurting, I want to know if it's broken or if it's bruised or if it's just going to go away on its own. Um, and I think we could do a lot more in understanding what really causes ADHD over the next few years. That would be very helpful to know, wouldn't it? And finally, where can people get involved in your project or find out a bit more about it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I work at the University of Exeter. So you can look me up there um, by looking for Abby Russell. And I spell that A-B-B-Y. But I also have a website for Tools for Schools, which is blogs.exeter.ac.uk forward slash Tools for Schools. I've mentioned this planning group of different people um, who are helping to design the toolkit. And there's always space for more people. So if you're an adolescent with ADHD or someone in your family has ADHD or you just want to really get involved and help out and you think that you've got something to share, then definitely get in touch and we'll follow up with you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And I'll put all the links and descriptions in the show notes so everyone can just click on them. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today, Abby. This has been really fascinating. No worries at all. And I think I'm coming back to talk to you more about my work um, in other areas soon. So yes, I'm you are. To that. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lizzie. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you got something from today's conversation and some nuggets of wisdom you can utilise to manage your own mental health. This is a podcast made by young people for young people. So if you liked it, then please do follow us on socials and let us know about any future topics you would like to see. We hope you have a wonderful week and most importantly, take care of yourself.